a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry from Utah's Capitol Hill to your schools, Texas, and all the breaking news. Hear it on Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. A little bit of show left. I got some fun stuff to talk to you about. Right now, we're going to spend a few minutes on Zion National Park. In fact, we're going to look at all of Utah's national parks. I would be remiss if I didn't point out that we here in the state of Utah have not five national parks, but six national parks. As you remember, last summer, it was declared the the ribbon was cut at the Golden Spike National Historical Park. So yes, albeit it's historical, uh, there was a sixth national park added to the long list of beautiful parks here in the state of Utah. Over the next two segments, we're going to be talking about an effort on the part of Utah's federal delegation. Those are the four House members plus the two members of the Senate, Mike Lee and Mitt Romney. They have all six come together to draft a letter which has been sent to Interior Secretary Bernhardt. It makes a very simple request, but let me take even a step backwards and talk to you about uh, something significant about the makeup of this letter. I worked for a long time as a congressional staffer within Utah's federal delegation. I worked for Rob Bishop, and I saw a number of letters signed by multiple members of Congress and sometime multiple members of the Utah delegation. What I've only, what I only rarely saw was for all four members of the House and both senators. In Utah, it's not all Republicans out there representing Utah. Ben McAdams, uh, as he defeated Mia Love, became uh, Utah's sole Democrat representing uh, a district here in the state of Utah. And what often happens is uh, the Republican members of the House uh, will often join up and send a letter to some administration official or uh, some organization, oftentimes because the three of them share something ideologically there and maybe uh, either by choice or use left out or for whatever reason, uh, Representative McAdams is not a part of that because oftentimes uh, either uh, predicted or explicitly uh, his ideology doesn't don't line up and so you'd get uh, a fragmented portion of the delegation signing their names to the letter now uh, that's on the house side and then sometimes what you'll see you'll see uh, the senators come together what you ve- and joining with house members to send a message what you very very rarely see and i've uh, sent a text message to a few folks with better memories than mine uh what i can't remember the last time I saw was when all six members of the Utah delegation had come together and signed their names uh, to a single letter. These letters are used to make requests 
oftentimes of executive branch agencies. In this case, it is the Honorable David L. Bernhardt, Secretary of the U.S. Department of the Interior, Washington, D.C. So I want to read to you a portion of this letter and explain to you what it is uh, that's being requested of, again, the entire Utah federal delegation, regardless of chamber, regardless of party. They all signed their names to us, and they all agree with the request being made of Secretary Bernhardt. The letter reads thusly, the National Park Service, NPS, is moving forward with a capacity study that could mandate a reservation system for Zion National Park. Now, have you heard of this? A reservation system means this. You need to go online ahead of time before your visit. You go in, you type in your information, how many folks are in your group. Uh, and once you share that information, you'd get a permit or something for yourself or your vehicle. And then, as long as a certain cap hadn't been met, you'd be then issued a permit to attend and visit uh, specifically Zion National Park right now. So as the National Park Service, NPS, uh, is moving forward with a capacity study that could mandate a reservation system for Zion National Park. Again, this is only suggested, uh, speculated, not in place now. We, all six members of Utah's federal delegation, we write to reiterate our strong opposition to any reservation system and instead request that NPS, National Park Service, give ample consideration to locally driven alternative solutions that preserve visitor access and enjoyment. As the fourth most visited national park in the country, Zion National Park is a pillar of the local tourism economy, helping support jobs and generate revenue. That's all true. If the if the Zion National Park capacity study concluded that a reservation system is necessary to meet new capacity standards were necessary and recommended a reservation system to implement the standards, it would likely result in reduced visitation and negative economic impacts. We, again... All six members of Utah's federal delegation, we strongly urge the department find solutions that will preserve access to Zion National Park while enhancing the visitor experience. State and local leaders have proposed several solutions, including improved public outreach and use of the state's marketing resources, state and local investment in trails, road infrastructure alternatives outside Zion Canyon and shuttle system. Anyway, there are a lot of ways that the uh, that, that the delegation is suggesting the National Park Service could address this issue. Now, what brought about this issue? You heard mention of the state's marketing resources. Well, a number of years ago, uh, the state's marketing resources were turned on a television ad, which aired obviously on television, uh, but also in Times Square on their big screens there. You saw them online in your social media. Uh, we targeted big populations uh, with money to spend out in California and around the world. New York had them. Uh, London, they played uh, on televisions there. It was a worldwide marketing effort. Uh, and the result of the expenditure by the state's marketing folks was this simple commercial. I want to play it for you. Uh, listen to what it says and uh, just imagine hearing this for the first time and ask yourself, would you be enticed to visit this place? Picture this. Your next trip. Utah. Five national parks. First, Zion. You're walking. The ground rises. The ground drops. The ground becomes water. Next, Bryce. You're riding a mule. You're riding a mule under giant orange strip castles. You are not dreaming. You will not forget this. On to Capitol Reef. Take the scenic route. The really easy 
taking it route. Take a path you've never taken and see the stars for the first time. Now for Canyonlands, you're riding a bike. You're riding a bike on Mars. Now you're riding the rapids. Class 2, Class 3, Class 4, Classic, Arches, 5.32 a.m. Some things are worth racing the sunrise for. The horizon lightens. You round the corner. Whoa. This is Life Elevator, the Mighty Five. Five iconic parts, one epic experience. Plan your trip at visitutah.com. I spent five years working in a big city, Washington, D.C., and I remember the first time I saw this ad, all I wanted to do there, probably on a Wednesday or a Thursday, uh, I was right in the middle of the grind. All I wanted to do was escape and see one of these places. That line, you're riding a bike on Mars. Well, as pointed out recently in an Outside Magazine article, this ad was successful was absolutely accessible. In very short order, a visitation to the parks exceeded 10 million annual visitors. Uh, and that phrase that we've heard sometimes tritely, which is, we are loving our parks to death, uh, in some cases, uh, is becoming true. So it's a complicated issue. Do you agree with CAPS or not? There's a poll on the KSL News Radio page right now. Uh, it's pretty split. Uh, uh, 58% of folks say yes, that they uh, think there should be a CAP. 42% say no. There have been a few reactions here on the text line 57500, the Utah Community Credit Union. Text line. Next up, we're going to speak to the superintendent of Zion National Park and get his thoughts on all of this next here on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. This is Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry. Welcome back to the program. I'm Lee Lonsberry. I'm so grateful to you for tuning in for this segment. We're continuing our conversation about Zion National Park, and I'm very honored to be joined on the line by the superintendent of that great park, that great national park, Jeff Brady Boss. Sir, I'm grateful to you for joining me. How are you? Good afternoon, Lee. I'm great. Now, we have seen this letter from Utah's federal delegation addressed to Secretary Bernhardt, Interior Secretary Bernhardt, asking that as this capacity study moves forward, uh, that a mandate for a reservation system uh, be put on hold. And now I won't ask you to get ahead of the secretary in terms of the, the the reservation system as a recommendation. But I would like to talk to you about the capacity study. As that has uh, been carried out, what are some of the bigger things you've learned as the capacity uh, limits of the park have been studied? Well, Lee, that's something that we're continuing to work on. Um, by no means is that uh, finished at all. Um, we go through a, a pretty careful process to look at uh, capacity in a number of different ways, whether we're talking about facility capacity, uh, capacity, for example, on our shuttle buses, um, you know, capacity of, of visitors in certain uh, confined areas, those sorts of things. So it's, it's an ongoing assessment, and um, we're working with a number of partners, um, a couple of our local uh, universities to actually collect some some very uh, precise data using um, some digital sensing equipment and other types of technology. So we're in refinement and uh, continuing to study that. 
I, in my in a past life, I was a congressional staffer for Congressman Rob Bishop, who paid uh, much attention to these issues, in particular the issue of maintenance backlog. And I, it's been my understanding that as uh, you know, these mighty five uh, ad campaigns have carried out, uh, visitors to the parks from around the world have increased, uh, eclipsing 10 million. Uh, most recent numbers I'm aware of, and it has put uh, a serious strain on the parks, leading to some. A pretty extensive maintenance backlog. How? Talk to me a bit about what you've observed along those lines, please. Sure. Um, looking at the past decade, um, our visitation here at Zion increased uh, 68%. So we went from about 2.7 million visitors to uh, most recently 4.5 million visitors. Now, obviously, you know, that has a stress and strain on, you know, facilities when we're talking about uh, maintenance backlog. Uh, but really, you know, it's taken decades uh, for this this um, this backlog to to accumulate. So, so certainly it's not only related to the recent increases in visitation, but um, it's been building for a number of years. I want to give you an opportunity to uh, both promote and protect your park. If folks uh, were to head down there this weekend, what would they experience? Well, it's uh, it's a holiday weekend, um, and it's probably going to be uh, fairly busy. Uh, we find in the winter that um, uh, the level of, of um, visitation often um, is influenced uh, by the weather conditions, as you might expect this time of year. Uh, so a beautiful day like today. Um, I wish you were here. It's beautiful, clear skies and, and sunny, but it's a weekday in the winter, so there's a few thousand people in Zion Canyon. Uh, this weekend it'll be uh, uh, dramatically different if the weather stays this way. As I look around Twitter, and that's not always the best measure of things, but it's uh, the way I checked on things this morning. I see uh, pictures of cars parked, long lines of them uh, on their way to enjoying the park. If you were to give someone advice considering visiting Zion this coming weekend, what would you tell them? Yeah, this weekend, we um, on Saturday and Sunday, uh, we'll beginning, be beginning our uh, shuttle service here in Zion Canyon, um, and it'll run the next several weekends before it starts uh, full-time both in Springdale and in the park on March um, 7th, I believe. And so this weekend, um, you know, we always encourage folks to arrive early. Um, that uh, helps in a lot of ways in terms of um, managing the number of cars, whether it's lines at the entrance station or uh, parking and or um, getting on the shuttle bus. One thing to know uh, for this weekend, coming in the south entrance, which is at Springdale, uh, we have con- construction right at the entrance. Uh, we're, we're redeveloping that entrance, adding some, some lanes for traffic. So uh, we really hope that people will be patient. And uh, certainly prepare for the weather. Um, you know, it may be nice, uh, beautiful one day, but again, it's winter time, and it could yeah. change dramatically. 
Jeff Brady Baum, superintendent of Zion National Park. Sir, I am grateful to you for your time here. We're speaking to uh, the superintendent on the occasion of a letter being sent by Utah's entire federal delegation to the Interior Secretary Bernhardt, asking that as they study the capacity levels at uh, the various parks, that there be no mandate of a reservation system at Zion National Park. Uh, some interpret that to be a visitation cap. Uh, we've got a poll up on our Facebook page right now asking folks, if they would be supportive uh, of, a, of a cap like that. A little over half the respondents are saying that, yes, they would be in favor of it. But it's all in flux right now. This study continues. And soon we'll touch base with the Secretary of the Interior and ask his office how they're responding to this request by Utah's federal delegation. Uh, Superintendent Brady Bosser, I'm grateful to you for your time. And I'm grateful for the, the, the work you do protecting and promoting Zion National Park here in the state of Utah. Pleasure to join you, Lee. Thank you. All righty. Uh, listen, a few minutes left in this segment. I want to tell you a story real quickly from my time working with Doug Wright. It has to do with Zion National Park and the entrance to the entrance there, one of the entrances to the park uh, located in Springdale. Uh, so this is, <laughs> bear with me, it's a, there's, there are a few details you got to understand about this story. A number of years ago, I was working here at KSL, uh, but in that, in those days, I was Doug Wright's producer. I did the job of producer Amy, which she does for me here each day. I dig into topics. I uh, arrange for guests to come on the program and I help with uh, the behind the scenes stuff. Well, a number of years ago when I was working in that capacity, there was a government shutdown and that shut down all of the national parks. And there were a number of uh, of hotel. There were a number of questions that Doug and I had uh, for each other. Uh, ultimately, we reached out to some folks to get answers to those questions. And those questions were, what is the impact on the local economy when a national park shuts down? You heard Superintendent Brady Baugh talk about uh, it's just a weekday and there are thousands of folks there visiting the park. So those folks, they got to eat somewhere. They got to sleep somewhere tonight. They're leaving some money behind the community and the economy uh, surrounding national parks depend wholly uh, on these types of visitors. Well, back a number of years ago during a government shut down, Doug and I were wondering how the community of Springdale was faring in the wake of this shutdown and the closure of Zion National Park. Well, I got myself on the phone with the mayor down there, and we had a nice long conversation. I asked him this question and that question, and he answered all of them. Although one thing I noticed was that he had uh, an interesting accent. An accent that was uh, strange to Utah, one I hadn't heard around here. Well, anyway, as I was talking to him and I was trying to arrange a time for him to come on the air, which he agreed to do. He agreed to come on the Doug Wright Show. (laughs) And so I said, all right, Mayor, thank you so much. We'll call you back. We'll get you on the air. Uh, You'll be speaking with Doug Wright here on KSL News Radio. About an hour later, as our preparation for the show continued, I was writing down the phone number I would be dialing for the mayor later on. And it struck me that not only was his accent unfamiliar, so too was the area code of the phone number. So I double-checked that area code. Lo and behold, it did come from Springdale. But guess what? Not Springdale, Utah. Springdale, Arkansas. I had had about a 15-minute conversation with the mayor of Springdale, Arkansas, about the impact of the government shutdown on his community. A good sport, 
by answering the questions, but irrelevant to the conversation we were having. It was one of my, uh, it was an embarrassing moment, but Doug and I over the years have gotten chuckles out of it. Anyway, thanks for bearing with me through that little story there. In our next segment, we're going to be talking uh, about an effort by Mike Lee dealing with money being spent overseas. He wants to ensure that that money is not being spent on abortions. I'll share with you how he's pulling this off next here on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.